Hey guys, you're listening to the Coin Monks podcast, a place where we share insights directly from the leaders and builders of the crypto sphere. This podcast is our latest offering alongside a long-running medium publication which offers educational content on all things crypto, including reviews of some of the best trading products in the market. So let's get straight into it. On our podcast today, we have Camila Russo, the founder of the Defiant Media Platform, which is a leading crypto media website, as well as the writer of the book, The Infinite Machine, which covers the history and notable moments of the development of Ethereum. Um, Camila, nice to have you here on the podcast. How are you doing today? Hey, uh, it's, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, you know, just to help our audience have a little bit of a background on you, um, do you want to maybe start with giving a little bit of an intro on you and your journey into, you know, the crypto rabbit hole? Sure. Happy to. So um, I'm a financial journalist. Uh, I Before going full-time crypto, I was a Bloomberg News reporter for eight years. Um, I started my career at Bloomberg in New York, where I am now. Um, but then I spent uh, around four years in Argentina in Bloomberg's Buenos Aires office. And it was there in 2013 when I first wrote about Bitcoin. Um, I was a markets reporter, so I was uh, writing about Argentine bonds, stocks, currency. And a lot of the stories were around how people were protecting their savings and their investments from inflation and from currency control. So it was in that context that I wrote about Bitcoin as uh, Bitcoin was gaining steam in Argentina with people uh, using it to uh, protect their savings from double digit inflation. Um, from then on, I was really interested in crypto. Um, I, you know, having been li living in Argentina, I really saw the promise and potential of a currency that couldn't be censored or controlled. After Argentina, I, I was uh, with Bloomberg for a couple of years in Madrid and then came back to New York with the markets team. And this was 2017. And um, as you all probably know, that was a big year for crypto. It was another kind of bull market. Um, everything was kind of going crazy. And so there was a lot of demand from Bloomberg readers for crypto uh, content. And so I took that opportunity to start covering uh, crypto on a day-to-day -day basis. And and that's how like I, I really got into, into crypto, into writing about it, into covering it uh, since 2017. I have basically never stopped uh, covering the space and, and writing about it. So just like very quickly, um, after uh, the end of 2017, I pitched to write the, the Infinite Machine, which is a book I published last year with HarperCollins. It's the first book on the history of Ethereum and the most read book on, on the topic as well. And after uh, spending all of 2018 between Bloomberg and writing the book, I left Bloomberg in January of 2019 to finish the Infinite Machine and also because I wanted to be an independent journalist. And it was in the process of researching the Infinite Machine that I came up with the idea of starting a DeFi-focused newsletter, which has now uh, become a media company uh, that's the Defiant, which has 
uh, not just a newsletter now, but we have a YouTube channel, a, a podcast, a website with uh, daily stories and a data platform on the works as well. So that's the Defiant. And then um, this year, uh, I have the very exciting news uh, that a production company is interested in turning the Infinite Machine into a movie. And they brought me on as executive producer. And so I'm, I'm leading this effort to fund most, hopefully most of the movie together with the Ethereum community uh, by launching an NFT collection. Awesome. So, you know, the infinite machine, which is primarily what we're here to talk about today is definitely an interesting project that we're definitely going to get into. But before we do that, you know, as someone who's currently uh, working with another crypto media company, similar to Defiant, you know, we're very inspired by your journey there. So do you want to maybe talk a little bit about some of the challenges of being in the space, in the media space, focused on crypto, and what were some of the major issues that you faced in the beginning and how you guys were able to overcome them eventually? Sure. So I think one of the, the major uh, challenges in in crypto for a media company is that reporting on crypto is, is different from reporting on traditional markets, specifically, you know, for a media company that's focusing on finance, like the Defiant is. Um, it, the the market in crypto is 24-7, uh, which is unlike the traditional market. Uh, so it means that as a reporter, you have to kind of always be on top of, of what's happening. There is also a very um, kind of, it, it's hard to tell where the definitive source of truth is for, for a story. In, in traditional finance, right. you have like s structured companies and organizations. And as a reporter, you kind of know exactly who you need to turn to, to get like, just like your accurate facts. So, you know, if you're talking about a bank, I, I would go to their media person, their, hopefully their CEO or, you know, whoever in, in yeah. the like org chart, you know, uh, to get answers in mm -hmm. crypto, that's that's not the case, obviously. And now it's, it's less so than ever with DAOs and uh, just like these flat structures and these anonymous devs. So it's it's very, it, it's just harder to um, tell who you can trust in the space. And and right. it, it just, that just requires a lot of experience in, in reporting and just being on like crypto Twitter, being on Discord, knowing the like people's track records, it's it's very hard for a reporter to just like come into the space and instantly know like who to turn to like it's easier to do in in traditional finance and then lastly uh, i think the 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 other big challenge uh for meeting crypto is just the amount of noise that there is for for newcomers um so there there's a lot of um there's just a lot of information uh, flying, you know, in this space. Um, and some of it is yeah. coming from, from reputable news sources who are doing actual journalism. Other information is coming from influencers who maybe, you know, have different standards than, than reporters do. And, and you don't really know where their incentives are. Other information is coming mm -hmm. from investors who may have just like 
different motivations than simply getting information out. You know, they may be there to promote their own investments. So it's very hard for a newcomer and for the public to know exactly what information to trust. So that's, that's kind of the, I think that the, the biggest challenge, uh, for a media company in this space, it's to kind of establish, um, its standards and establish itself as, uh, okay, we're here to do journalism and do objective reporting of facts. And we are different from other news sources because we we're doing things you know, this way we're like, you know, professional journalists. And that's kind of what we've been trying to um, establish at the Defiant. That's kind of the value that we, we want to bring. Right. And I think for the most part, um, you know, Defiant has been pretty successful to sort of build that brand for itself. The uh, information there, at least in my experience, is, you know, fairly trustworthy comes from places that can that can be verified and ha- always has sources mm-hmm. attached so that's that's always a great thing and being in a similar space and definitely empathize with all the challenges of keeping up to date while making sure your information is coming from the right sources yeah. because the space is moving so fast oftentimes you know the the start of the smoke behind the fire sometimes can come from like really shady exactly, areas yeah. Interesting. So, you know, we can, we'll probably come back to crypto media and the business, but, you know, let's, let's get into the infinite machine a little bit now. So, you know, unfortunately, you know, I haven't gotten the chance to read the book myself now, but from what I understand, it's a biography of some of the most notable moments in crypto history and Ethereum's history. So, can you maybe talk a little bit about what the book is about and what are some of your most favorite moments that you have covered in the book? Sure. Um, yeah, so the book is uh, about the history of, of Ethereum. It's a it's the story of how Ethereum came to be, how it was created, who, who are the people behind the project. Oh, sorry about my dog. Um, <laughs> if, if, <laughs> no, no. Um, um, yeah so yeah so uh, the infinite machine is uh, about the history of ethereum the story of how the this uh, blockchain was founded um and especially who is behind it so i wanted to write the story of the people who created ethereum um and obviously you know include um explanations about the tech and how it works and you know, uh, how blockchain works and the background about Bitcoin. Um, but the main thing is I wanted to bring um, more kind of humanity into something, a topic that uh, for most people just sounds very uh, complex and technical. Um, but, right. you know, if you if you look at Ethereum and if you look at any of, of the projects in crypto, in the end, they're all made up of people with, you know, fascinating stories, with very interesting uh, personalities, um, with very kind of um, dramatic, in, in some cases, um, uh, developments in the team. And that's obviously, you know, that's the case with Ethereum as well. So uh, I, I wanted to write that story. And the, the main I had two main goals. One was to tell the story of Ethereum as accurate, accurately as possible and to explain for anybody 
what Ethereum is and what blockchain is um, without the need of any previous knowledge about the space. But the second goal for me was always to just write a good book. Like the, the story had to be entertaining and had to stand on its own. Like if, if somebody never had any interest or knowledge about crypto, they can hopefully pick up the infinite machine and still find uh, a good, you know, fun human story there. So that that's kind of the, the, the idea behind it. Awesome. I think that's a that's a great sales pitch. So, you know, continuing on that, what are some of your favorite moments from the Ethereum history that that you remember most fondly and and can talk about sure. maybe? Um so I think let's see, a few moments in the Ethereum history that I think are, are the most interesting. Um one is the Miami house, which is kind of very early in the history of Ethereum. It's the time when almost all of the founders met in a big house in Miami that Anthony Diorio rented to gather everyone before the um, uh, the Bitcoin Miami con conference in 20, uh, 2012, I think it was, yes. Um, and mm -hmm. that was when Ethereum was announced uh, by Vitalik on stage. and. It was the only moment when almost all of Ethereum founders were in kind of the same place together. Um, only Mihai Alisi couldn't uh, make it because he was in in Romania, but all the other all the other co-founders were there, and it was just like a very special moment for Ethereum because it was, you know, a lot of idealism, a lot of dreams. You know, nothing had been built yet, and it was, you know, everyone was there to to build to dream big and um and the team hadn't been kind of spoiled by by all the kind of problems that followed so i think that was a really kind of special mm -hmm. moment um then the the other like very key moment for ethereum was this kind of meeting uh in the house that they had in Sug in switzerland um, so the early Ethereum team had this this house that they called a spaceship because it was like a very modern house in, in this little town in Switzerland. And uh, the kind of web developers and marketing team uh, kind of stayed there for, for many months uh, living and working together. And during that time, uh, you know, things got um, a, a little bit, well, a little bit might be an understatement, but things got tense between kind of uh -huh. two sides um, of, of the Ethereum project. So um, on, on one right. hand, there was kind of the, the group that wanted Ethereum to be a nonprofit foundation. And then on the other hand, there, there was mm -hmm. people who, uh, the group that wanted Ethereum to be a company similar to what consensus is today. So like a company who would help develop um, applications on, on top of this open source protocol. And so these like two factions formed. And in the end, it came up to Vitalik to decide uh, what the fate of Ethereum would be in this kind of like a uh, big meeting that they had where everyone kind of flew over to Sug to to meet. Um, of course, Vitalik chose to go the, the nonprofit foundation uh, route. And 
and there was this big fallout with the founders where uh, two of the two of the co-founders yeah. uh, left or were were kicked out yeah. however you know <laughs> you you see the story <laughs> from from ethereum so that was that was a huge that was a huge moment as well yeah that was super dramatic i think that's when charles hoskinson left and sort of laid the roots for what we call ada today exactly right? yeah yeah, that's that's super interesting. So, you know, it's interesting to me that you've, I mean, you're a journalist, of course, so you've been covering this space, space for so long. But how do you go about, you know, making a chronological list of all of these notable events, knowing where things happening, tracking the team, like from the very early time to where they are now? Like, how do you go about researching for a project like this? It's It was a huge, huge undertaking for sure um so i started out by interviewing the the few kind of co-founders and early team members that i knew and had access to so i interviewed uh, charles hoskinson i interviewed anthony diorio um steven Nerayov, uh were kind of like yeah the first uh, interviews i i did and they gave me kind of the the very basic uh, timeline, you know, just like placing things, you know, events. Yeah. So the house in Miami, the the Sug meeting, um, the the ICO, the mainnet launch, um, like just like have like a basic uh, timeline. And from there, I started researching each of these kind of milestones and figuring out who kind of the key people were on each. So I started reaching out to, to everyone involved. And then they all started t telling me their versions of their, their story. And of course, in each interview, I asked, you know, who do you think I should definitely interview for the book? And I would get like a new list of people to talk to. Um, and, you know, in, in some ca cases, uh, I would get introductions to these people. And so this like web of, of, um, of Ethereum, early community started kind of forming for me, uh, where each interview led to five more interviews and, and so on. So in the end, I, I ended up doing over a hundred uh, interviews for the book. So that's, that's how wow. I started kind of piecing the story together. I always, for each kind of big event, I tried to interview everyone, like every single person that uh, was involved. So I, I, I got like a few different perspectives of, of the event. Like, for example, in this like huge meeting that happened in Sioux, I, I tried to talk with everyone who was at the table there to get just like mm -hmm. pretty good overview of, of what happened. Um, and from there, you know, it, it, I was surprised to see that for the most part, most like people's accounts lined up. So like, I was lucky that I didn't have a situation yeah. where like I had five different versions of something. So for in most <laughs> cases, like like maybe 90% or 80% of the accounts pretty much lined up. And so that's what I went with for my book. Um, and then it was like a matter of like, okay, the account that didn't line up as much, I would talk like interview that person again and say, hey, but you know, this is what this person is saying. Like, what do you think? And And so that's how I kind of like, was able to smooth out any like big discrepancies in, in people's stories. Awesome. That sounds like an incredible undertaking and 
definitely looking forward to the book now after hearing the the pitch mm-hmm. right so okay let's let's talk about the the infinite machine collection the project that you're leading right now and the movie that you guys are planning that's going to come out of it so you know the first question i had when i uh, had a chance to go over the website and everything is that we already have you know web 2 we've already seen like in web 2 crowdsourcing things like um patreon and kickstarter to sort of fund projects right and it's all sorts of projects from businesses to artwork to even like short films so i mean obviously since this is crypto you know we're doing it on chain um what what are some of the what is some of the thought process that you guys had making sure that you know this community participation in this movie is more than just money and it's not just a translation of the web 2 process that we've seen over and over again are there any differences from that version of crowdsourcing yeah i i love that question um so th- the first thing of why we went with nfts and, and not just um a regular uh, crowdsource is you know this is a movie about ethereum so i thought it it's really important to do it together with the ethereum community and using ethereum technology so i just thought it 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 was really cool to use nfts right. to to fund it um beyond that i think the um, the, the way to make a, a way to include um the 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 people who who helped raise money is that nfts are a way to our key into into this community so these nfts they're not just art but they're um a chance to be a part of of the movie itself so one third of the nfts have a uh, rewards attached to them and so some of these rewards are the ability to uh, be an extra in the film uh, or for your nft to appear in the film um and uh, a vip invite to the premiere of the movie uh, an invite to visit the shooting of the film and um a chance to uh, for your name to be on the credits of the film so so that's kind of the, the the first feature of this nft collection it's it's beautiful art that is made by uh, artists from emerging countries uh, 36 different uh, artists um and and that's that's a, a a really beautiful aspect of this collection uh, and very important to me um but also these nfts are not just this amazing art they also have this additional uh, utility to them which you know they are kind of your key into into the movie and then the the third layer um is that part of the the, the proceeds is um well most of it is going uh, to fund the film um 25% is going to the artists so 25% of any uh, money raised will go directly to the artist uh, like that's programmed in the smart contract 25% of any secondary sales will also go to the artist like forever um and 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 that would have been very hard to do as well in a web 2 uh, platform and and then the other part which is super interesting and we, we'll be releasing more details soon is that 10% of the funds 
go to a, a community treasury. And so this community mm -hmm. treasury uh, will be uh, there to seed a, uh, a future DAO, which will be uh, controlled by NFT holders. So the idea is that, you know, this project will be self-sustaining uh, over time and that the Infinite Machine movie will be the first of many projects that this uh, group of NFT holders will be able to support in the future. So um, that's kind of uh, a key aspect of, of this collection that uh, makes it very different from a traditional, um, you know, Web2 uh, crowdfund. Like you, you're, when, when you buy into, uh, into the NFT, in, into these uh, NFTs, you are actually part of um, a, a community that will hopefully be kind of self-sustaining and will continue to uh, just support other works in the future. Right. Right. And, you know, I mean, I had a chance to have a look over at the artwork and looks incredible. And I want to get back to it mm -hmm. eventually. But before that, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the movie itself. So um, have you guys conceptualized the movie yet? Is it going to be like a live action film, something like a social network? Or, um, you know, is it going to be like a documentary uh, sort of like uh with real life interviews from some of these people and in case it's going to be with actors and not the real guys then you know who are you casting as vitalik and the main cast um yeah so the the idea for the movie is to really take the ethereum story to the mainstream so this will be a, a dramatized version of um the ethereum story so not a documentary but like a feature-length film so right like something like the social network, but for crypto. So it will have a script writer, uh, actors, and so on. Um, it, it will be uh, a global uh, movie, and uh, hopefully, you know, shown on like every, every cinema and, and uh, uh, hopefully a big streaming platform. So the idea is to hopefully go, you know, go very big, very kind of Hollywood blockbuster kind of thing uh, with <laughs> with this film. Um, and mm -hmm. yeah, so so far we we are uh, in conversations with uh, different US based uh, production uh, studios. And because the uh, production studio that um, is currently uh, leading the project is called Versus Entertainment, and they're a really great uh, company based in Spain, um, where you know a, a lot of the the filming and production will happen in in Europe. But we're we're looking to have a U.S. based partner as well, um, and from there, you know, once we have the the funding for the film, uh, together with the whole community, we'll go and and you know select the cast, uh, select the script writer. So that's kind of the, uh, a process that, that comes next after raising the necessary funds to, to produce it. Although it doesn't answer my question, I guess, who do you see? Uh, I mean, who would you like to see as the, some of the key cast members for Vitalik and some of the other guys? Um, yeah, that's kind of like, that's what everyone loves to <laughs> speculate about. Um, Let's see, I think uh, like the name that keeps coming up for Vitalik is Rami Malik. 
from uh-huh. uh, what's it? Uh, robot, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I kind of see as well. Um, I've uh, heard uh, Adam uh, Driver or Driver. I don't know how you pronounce his last name. Um, yeah, Adam, Adam Driver for for Gavin. Who else have I heard? I don't know. I'm, I'm terrible with like actors' names. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm, I don't know them. <laughs> but yeah, I thought we'll see if, if that um, if that works out. Yeah, it would be awesome if that materializes. Yeah. honestly. So yeah, incredible. So you know, let's let's talk a little bit about the NFTs that that are being uh, sold right now to raise funds for this movies. And you know, I had a chance to look at some of them and wanted to talk to you a little bit about the concept behind them. So the artwork looks really incredible. Um, I I think most of them follow a similar theme of being divided into four quadrants with the Ethereum sort of logo in the middle of it, and then. A lot of different styles, a very sort of psychedelic, trippy, uh, abstract designs to some very detailed, uh, detailed art. So, like, how did you guys conceptualize that? How did you guys uh, put that together? Especially since you guys were have created like I think some eleven thousand pieces, mm-hmm. roughly. Is it like generative art? I mean, how did the collection come sure. together? So. The collection came together um, from a conversation that uh, I had with uh, with Jani, who he he was one of the early Ethereum community members who participated in the design of the Ethereum logo. So um, when when I started uh, talking with my co-executive producers about funding the film, I had this idea of doing it with NFTs, and then we were thinking about you know who the artist will be and i thought you know this should go back to ethereum's roots so it would be really cool to have uh, the ethereum logo designer make art uh, for for this collection and so i reached out to jenny um and you know in ethereum like like it happens a lot there's no like clear-cut story for things so there's no like one single ethereum logo designer um but i reached out to jenny because um, he he's also um, involved in the NFT space, so I thought, oh, he'll be great for this. Um, and then it turns out that he's involved in this beautiful project, helping artists in Cuba uh, sell their art through NFT. And he's doing this with mm-hmm. uh, um, Gladys, who is a, a university uh, art professor in Havana. And so I decided, you know. It would be amazing to include these uh, these amazing artists from Cuba uh, in the collection, and so have them design the art for the collection, and not just Yanni. And then the concept uh, grew from there, and we decided why have it be only for Cuban artists? We should include artists from um, any uh, emerging nation. You know, would be happy to have this. Uh, this collection as a platform, you know, to display, to show their their art and yeah. their ideas. Um, and I, I just really right. love this concept. I think, you know, the NFT space has been full of hype, uh, full of big names, um, which is great. But in the end, you know, the people who can benefit from crypto the most are people in emerging countries with authoritarian regimes, with centralized power, and their voices aren't 
heard as as loudly as they should be, I think. So that's that's kind of the the concept uh, behind this project. Elevate these artists and give them a platform to uh, to showcase their work. And so we came up with the idea that each artist would deliver a um, an original artwork that represented what Ethereum or decentralization means to them and 10 versions mm -hmm. of the Ethereum logo, which have to follow, um, you know, like specific dimensions so that they, they, they would be, you know, yeah. kind of um, uh, similar. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so, but other than that, like uh, besides kind of following the dimensions of, of the logo, uh, they could do whatever they want. It was like complete freedom uh, to have whatever style that they wanted. And there was kind of debate uh, about this because we were like, I what we didn't know what would happen um, if you know the 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 final words were super kind of different, and we didn't know if like the mashup. Uh, oh, oh, sorry, because I, I I left out an important part. So. Um, artists turned in uh, <laughs> 10, 10 versions of the Ethereum logo. Um, and then those yeah. uh, versions of the Ethereum logo would be split in four. So it, it's a square image and, and the square is split in, in four tiles. And then those tiles are then okay. uh, combined between um, each artist's works and among all of the other artists. So that's how we get um, a collection of 10,499 uh, unique Ethereum logos because we have these quadrants that are combined um, programmatically, basically. Right. So th this was like right. a, a kind of a risk because we didn't know like what the final product would be if we combined all these different styles and art uh, together. But as you've seen, the result is amazing. I, I just like, I couldn't be more excited um, with with how the art is looking. It's just, to me, it's spectacular. Like, it's so colorful, like, so full of life, so diverse. Um, and it's just like, I don't know, a great representation of what Ethereum is in the end. Yeah, I think it's a really fresh change from some of the other NFT collections mm -hmm. that are very popular mm -hmm. out there. It looks very, very different yeah. from them, which is a good thing, but also a bit confusing. Hmm. And, you know, how do you decide about good traits and rarity in case, cases like hmm. this? Because, you know, everything is so unique. Everything's just a combination of um, different art pieces. It's very hard to pinpoint which are the desirable traits for this collection. So how do you go about, you know, doing that? Yeah, so um, the, the, the most kind of rare pieces are those pieces that haven't been mixed uh, between um, all the other artists, so um, so there uh. there's like different levels of of like uh, mixing. So on one level, there's uh, pieces that have been mixed within the same artist works. So all of like um, uh, all of one artist works are are combined, and so you get like a similar style in in these pieces. And then like the next level is that you get the 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 original piece that hasn't been mixed. So, you know, that that's like the, the most rare of all. And some people uh, are, are getting those like one of one 
uh, pieces and and those are the ones that are selling for for the highest um, on OpenSea right now. Got it, got it. So you know, um, for the folks who might be listening to this podcast right now, I mean, how can they take part in the project right now? Are you dropping any NFTs? Is the project all completely sold out? Is there any other way outside the NFTs to you know take part uh, within the project? Yeah, I mean, luckily there's a lot of opportunities to to participate in the project. Um, we we started out with a a limited drop of only 2,100 NFTs today, um, and that uh, that drop uh, was closed to whitelisted members of the community. And the idea was to reward the very earliest kind of most committed uh, community members. Um, so we've sold uh, most of them, but there's still some NFTs left. Then uh, there will be a, a second sale uh, of about the same amount, like 2,500 or so NFTs, which will follow the same format. Uh, we'll look to reward um, our like core community first. So we'll have a whitelist uh, at the beginning of that sale and then a general sale. And then we'll have a third third sale where we'll um, we'll release kind of the the entire collection and and hope to sell uh, the the full uh, ten thousand four hundred ninety nine um, NFTs and that won't have any any whitelist sales. So so there there's at least uh, 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 two more opportunities to to participate. Yeah, right. I think we've covered uh, most of what the project is about and what folks can look forward to uh, from you guys on the movie side and also the NFT drop that's coming up. So, you know, before we close this and, you know, this was an amazing conversation and learning about your journey and the things that you've done within the crypto space. um, What do you think is the future of uh, mass media going to be with the Web3 playing a bigger role in our day-to-day internet lives. So, you know, we're seeing trends like community-owned social media platforms, community-owned publishing platforms like Mirror and things like that. What is your general view on the evolution of mass media platforms and journalism with the Web3 space? Yeah, it's it's a great question and one that I've been thinking about a lot uh, this year for, for the Defined as well. And... I, I believe, like most industries, we will see media become increasingly decentralized and more open. So I think in, in the near future, media organizations will, uh, will include their, their communities, their audiences, and, and their readers as a, a bigger part of, uh, of their organization. So. I think media consumption will be something that is not not so passive anymore. I think audiences will have the opportunity to uh, own a piece of the media organizations that they, they're consuming in the same that the same way that users are owning a lot of the DeFi and Web three protocols that they're using. The same thing will happen with media, um, and by owning a piece of these uh, organizations, 
audience members or readers or users, however you, you want to call them, uh, will have a chance to have a greater say in the content that is produced and, and even produce some of the content themselves, or if not content, uh, participate in other aspects of, of running um, the organization if, if they're interested. So I think there's, there's an opportunity for media companies to become gradually more like, like DAOs, uh, where community becomes more important mm -hmm. and where community members can contribute and be rewarded for, for those contributions. I think, I think it's a, it's a great opportunity because we are, it's, it's a way to what I, what I call, uh, you know, tearing down the newsroom walls and opening them up, uh, for, for the community to join. So yeah, it's, it's something that I'm very excited about and something that I'm, I'm thinking about, um, a lot for, for the defiance. So, uh, hope, hope to have, uh, more developments on this front as well for the defiant next year. Right. And, you know, happy to have you back when that actually yeah. happens for Defiant. If you guys actually decide to, you know, go move to a DAO or something. But anyway, you know, Camilla, so glad that you could make the time for us and talk to us about the project and the incredible work that you've done in the past. So uh, once again, thank you for your time and thank you for being on the podcast. No, thank you, Akash. It was great. Uh, it was great being here and really enjoyed the conversation.